From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, October 28th. Southeastern Utah's drought conditions don't seem to be going anywhere. That means farmers may need to find innovative ways to grow crops using less water. In Blanding, the family running Cinco Cedros Farms is trying to do just that. Although, as Justin Higginbottom reports, it doesn't always go swimmingly. When Jessica Stevens and her partner moved to Blanding, they had a problem. What should they do in Blanding? It's a small town with few restaurants where she could get the kind of work she had before. They thought having a farm would be nice, but the region has been in an extended drought. After some time binging YouTube tutorials, her partner had an idea. What if we, because of this drought area, built an aquaponic greenhouse where the fish provide effluent for the the plants and it would just, you know, you can have way more of a yield with a tenth of the water. And so he's like, we could really do something big with this. And in this area especially needs, everybody should be farming like this. Aquaponics mixes fish farming with hydroponics. The nutrient-rich fish waste is used to grow plants. We're in her greenhouse now. There's a big sunk tank, a constant sound of water pumping through pipes to rock beds for growing vegetables. This is our main fish housing tank. That's 2,100 gallons. And so the fish are kept in there. It goes through the clarifying tank and just fills through these pipes. As she says, it uses a fraction of the water terrestrial farming needs. Yeah, we just thought how perfect and what a way to help the world in a drought-stricken area. She built this greenhouse in 2015. Right now she has mint, cherry tomatoes. On a good year, there's a wall of cucumbers, enough kale to sell. But it's required a lot of learning, a lot of trial and error. We were at one point doing 40 to 60 pounds a week of kale from the greenhouse to moonflower market. And we also sold our eggs there for several years. But we decided last year that we were gonna move and sell the place, but then that didn't work out and I'm very thankful. And so it's now just me pretty much and the kids running the whole farm. So it's been quite an adventure. Those adventures seem never ending. Two years ago, their fish tank collapsed. She thought that was the end of their experiment. And so last night, or the night before when we had that big freeze, um, we were hoping to get a furnace in here um, going to heat the water, but we didn't make it in time, and so I lost, I think, all but one koi fish, and there might be a picassimus still in there, but I think everybody's died. Our goldfish died weeks ago. Fish prices are high right now, so replacing the stock hurts. Previously, there was an aphid infestation, so they had to introduce a predator. So we've had to get lots of ladybugs and different uh, predatory wasps, and we've tried so many different things. The ladybugs were all dying. We found out later that it was the nymphs that eat the aphids, so we had to get them food. And so that's why we have our hibiscus and our geraniums in here. When things are running as they should, the nearly closed system really shouldn't require a lot of labor. She just hasn't made it there yet. You know, it's just every day there's a new problem to overcome in here. And it's sometimes so daunting, you feel like you're never going to get it accomplished. But after six or seven years, it's like, wow, we have enough to, to go on. You know, you just learn every day and try again. But her hope is that the lessons she learns could help other aquaponic farmers. The system can be fit in an apartment or potentially scaled up for commercial farming. She says Australia is ahead of the game there. And it would help landing quite a bit. Um, Most of the food gets shipped in from Salt Lake. It's huge carbon footprint. And, you know, this was 
how we were going to give back. Plus, it's just so fascinating. She once planned on having an acre under glass, three or four more greenhouses like this. That's still possible, but right now she's just trying to keep her fish alive for the winter. Justin Higginbottom, Verkizimu News. A Utah artist has created a sound collage representing the timeline of the Great Salt Lake, including its potential collapse. With our partners at KUER, Pamela McCall has the story. A distress call from Great Salt Lake. That's how local artist Vincent Matina describes his sound collage. It's part of an annual exhibition of artwork inspired by Great Salt Lake. His work garnered him a first-place award in the 2022 Alfred Lambert Arts Program at the exhibition hosted by Friends of Great Salt Lake. Vincent joined me to talk about the mournful cry from the lake he created. I started by asking him what it was like to put a soundtrack to Great Salt Lake's demise. It was actually kind of sad, to tell you the truth. And I think it probably reflects that a little bit in the uh, the audio itself. So it was kind of my gut reaction when I first heard that it's been shrinking for quite some time and I hadn't realized that how much it affects our ecosystem here. So. It's not a happy soundtrack, I guess, but it's something that I kind of feel deeply about. It really affected me. You do describe this piece as a time-lapse soundtrack, starting with the birth of the lake. What do you imagine the lake was like when it was born? Oh, I imagine it was probably beautiful. I think I looked at projections of what it, how big it was at the time, when it was first formed, and I think my house, current house, and probably most people's houses were underwater at that time. But the shoreline is up to the mountains, which is something I really enjoy hiking to this day. And I try to imagine what that was like, and just kind of overlooking, you know, this lakefront property that's actually the Wasatch Mountains. So it's really kind of moving, incredible feeling. How do you capture that in sound? I, I just try to... I uh, reflect on it in uh, in my head and how that would have seemed and how that would have looked sped up from the time that it formed to the time where it actually decreased. Your sound collage progresses as the lake grows older and then becomes imperiled by human impact. Let's listen to a clip from that stage. Yeah. There we actually hear the sound of water for the first time, followed by a boom. What do those represent? Yeah, the the, rep, the sound of the water is kind of representing the water uh, leaking out of the lake. Kind of described it as like a cut, uh, blood seeping from a wound. And that sound, there's a little boom at the end of it, and almost like a, a coyote, like a howl in there, kind of a, a pain cry. So that's kind of what uh, I was kind of trying to achieve with the end, like a deafening ending. And after that, it's quiet again as reflecting the beginning of the piece where there was total silence before the lake was formed. So it kind of returns back to nothing again. Mm-hmm. So 
that that's really stark um, after the cacophonous sounds that you bring to us it does become quiet again some final beats akin to the lake's birth full circle what what does that signify yeah i guess it's a circle of life or in this case maybe a circle of non-life <laughs> because it supported life a lot of life still does and uh if it continues in that course it will be a, as it was at the beginning where it doesn't support any life and it won't including us we won't be supported by that we'll just have uh, a toxic dust pool that will uh, poison us unless we do something about it so this is an audio piece that uh, is stark enough to hopefully make people think about that thanks so much for sharing your work with us oh absolutely Utah artist Vincent Matina speaking with KUER's Pamela McCall. Find a link to the full version of his sound collage in the show notes. Climate change is pushing animals to move and compete for resources. One study asked who wins when mountain goats and bighorn sheep butt heads over salt. Emma Gibson of the Mountain West News Bureau has more. Mineral licks are important for body growth and pregnancy in these species. Roads have destroyed sources at lower elevations, but as the earth warms, it's melted glaciers, revealing mineral licks at higher elevations. These animals seem to be competing for access. That's Joel Berger, the lead author on the study co-researched by Colorado State University. He says the mountain goats almost always get the salty treats. I think all of us who are interested in trying to understand the consequences of climate change, we have to be prepared for unexpected ways in which resources will unfold and how this is going to affect ecosystems. Berger says this competition isn't resulting in bloody fights, but it's pushing the bighorn sheep out. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Emma Gibson. The Moab City Council was in session this week. So, what happened at the what meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened, what happened at, the at the meeting? What uh, exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire with the Moab Sun News answers. Public transit is coming to Moab next year as the Moab City Council approved a microtransit provider at this week's council meeting. The service will offer an on-call van and seasonal fixed route service to run down Highway 191 from River Road to Mill Creek Drive. The meeting also included a mission statement from the Moab City Police Chief, an update from the department's Victims Assistance Unit, and approval of a vesting period extension for the Lions Back Resort near Sand Flats Recreation Area. And that's what happened at this week's Moab City Council meeting. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. You can also watch these meetings on YouTube. Find Moab City in Grand County, Utah there. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Moab's high school mountain biking team wrapped up an amazing season over the weekend. Sophia Fisher with the Times Independent tells us about it. So congratulations to the Grand County High Red Devil mountain biking team. Um, They just wrapped up their undefeated season with winning the state championship in St. George last Saturday. Um, And according to coach John Knight, 16 of the team's 20 riders qualified for states. And of those 16, four made it to the podium with top five finishes. Wow. Wow. Congrats to the mountain biking team. Anything else to say about their victory? Yeah, congratulations. They look happy and very dusty in their photo on the front page. I think it was Saturday. The entire 
Empire State was contending with pretty high winds. So it must have been a, a dramatic finish. All right. Well, thanks, Sophia. Where do you want to take us next? Uh, local political news. Always something interesting there. What is happening in our local politics? Well, Grand County, yeah, has filed its initial response um, to a lawsuit being brought against it and Moab City over off-highway vehicle regulations that a number of plaintiffs, local OHV businesses, have alleged cost them over a million dollars in lost revenues. And importantly, the plaintiffs are these dozen local businesses and then also one out-of-state motorized recreation advocacy group called the Blue Ribbon Coalition. Okay, so Grand County has officially filed its response. Moab City has yet to file. Correct. Uh, Spokesperson Lisa Church said they have not yet filed. Um, Their attorneys that they're using are still reviewing the complaint that was filed last month. But the deadline, Church said, is November 7th. So the city's response should come out soon. And we're just kind of plodding through the legal system Mm -hmm. at this point. The case is expected to go to trial. Um, Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan said that's not expected till spring 2024. So that's like Mm -hmm. a year and a half away. Mm -hmm. So we're just kind of like checking off the boxes with these kind of complaints and then the response mm-hmm. and then we're going to enter a discovery period mm-hmm. and yeah okay so this thing is going to drag on likely <laughs> okay so in the county's response is there anything that you'd like to highlight from the county's response that might be interesting or notable absolutely i think it provides a really interesting glimpse into likely how the county is going to defend itself mm-hmm. um in in this 27 page response Um, Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan couched the county's regulations, which include things like caps on fleet and caravan sizes, um, noise ordinances, mandatory vehicle testing, Mm. um, a now defunct uh, moratorium on new OHV Mm. events. She couches those not as off-highway vehicle targeting, but as a lawful effort to quell noise pollution. She said that the county acted reasonably to protect the health and welfare of residents and visitors and cited all the complaints the county has been receiving about noise pollution. And specifically OHV noise um, over the last few years. So it's definitely an interesting formulation mm. of the problem, which was formulated, of course, very differently in the complaint from last month. Oh, right, exactly. And, you know, as you say here in the Times Independent about this response from Green County, they list OHV related complaints as feelings of isolation, annoyance, severe emotional trauma, even, mm-hmm. um, which I know they have done a lot of research about the effect of, you know, noise on our emotional and physical states. Absolutely. Um, Sloan has set up a web page where she says she'll be posting updates throughout the discovery process. The URL is in our story. I'm not going to read it out to you, but yeah. you can also find it online. Okay. And that's also has a file to the full response and the full complaint, too, which you can read in there entirety. Okay. Next, um, there's another piece in the Times Independent I'm hoping you could highlight related to the mail. What is happening with our mail service? The mail. Yes, the local branch of the U.S. Postal Service is grappling with really severe staff shortages. I know this is not a new story, but Mm -hmm. um, notably, one impact of this is that some Moab residences aren't getting daily mail service all the time Mm. right now. Um, I was able to get in touch with Betty Fry, who's a spokesperson for the USPS base down in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And she said because of staffing issues, there might be days when a customer doesn't receive mail, but they're rotating carriers. So if if you don't get mail one day, you will certainly get it the next day. Okay. I know that one of our local elected officials had a question about how this might affect voting. So I know you um, reached out to the clerk auditor. 
Yes, I reached out to Grand County Clerk Auditor Gabe Wojtek, who is in charge of administering um, the general election that's coming up in November, since, yeah, folks are, are currently mailing in their ballots. He said he's not very worried, he's not expecting any serious delays, but that he always encourages folks to vote in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. Ballots must be postmarked by November 7th to be considered valid, but you can always drop off your ballot at the clerk's office mm-hmm. at the courthouse, which is 125 East Center. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned. These aren't major delays, but it is certainly a good idea maybe not to say voting until the last minute or the last sure. day. Uh, you do mention in here that if people are concerned, they can um, use this app called Ballot Tracks, um, which can, you know, track the status of your mail-in ballot. Yeah, that was new to me, actually. It's, it's a service that uh, many places, including, as I understand it, Utah voters can use. Um, it's called Ballot Tracks. It's an app you can use to check the mm-hmm. status of your mail-in ballot once you've mailed it in. Um, it'll let you know when it's been received. And um, Wojtek did say that he has noticed a slight delay in ballots being shown as received on mm-hmm. the app after you send them in because their ability to sort mail is a little right. bit constrained right now. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know, if you mail it in on a Thursday, it might take until Monday to show up as received on the app. Um, so he is aware of that. But mm-hmm. Fry also said that the USPS is, quote, aggressively hiring for carriers and clerks. Mm. And she apologized for any inconvenience caused to the Moab customer base. And there's a picture in the Times Independent of the um, USPS's now hiring sign outside of the Moab um, post office. Well, thank you, Sophia, for that. And um, one more story I'm hoping you can highlight takes us to the rec and outdoors section of the paper. You went to the Mill Canyon track site recently, it looks like. Um, Tell us about this. Yeah, this was a fun one to report on. Uh, So the BLM has reopened the Mill Canyon dinosaur track site north of town. Um, that track site had been closed for a while as the agency was rebuilding a warped walkway. And in the process, if mm-hmm. folks remember in January, an employee or a contractor of the agency seems to have accidentally driven heavy construction equipment over part of the site, mm-hmm. causing what ended up being minor damage, but it was certainly garnering national attention. Yeah. Um, so I got to attend a talk there last week as part of the Moab Festival of Science, which also served as kind of a soft reopening of the site. Mm-hmm. Very fun, very cool. Um, we got to hear from Rebecca. Hunt Foster, who used to work for um, the BLM here as a paleontologist and actually was instrumental in excavating and interpreting the site nine years ago. So, so cool to hear from one of the people who made this site happen in the first place. Now, Sophia, did you learn anything from her talk? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I didn't know, first of all, that apparently one really cool thing about this track site is that the era this tracks are in is Mm -hmm. is fairly young compared Mm -hmm. to when we thought dinosaurs were around. So Mm -hmm. it's the early Cretaceous, which comes after the Jurassic. Apparently up until the mid 90s, scientists didn't really think there were many dinosaurs in the early Cretaceous. And like this track site and the Moab area completely changed. Um, what paleontologists understood about that time period. Um, Hunt Foster also said that the different layers of the site actually Mm -hmm. show the evolution of different dinosaurs through time, which is insane. Wow. Really cool site. I highly encourage folks to go visit if they haven't seen it yet. So this is a really special site, you know, which is why the damages, um, even though they were minor, sort of raised a ton of alarm bells because it is a really special site Mm -hmm. to the paleontology community, I would say around the world, but definitely in our in our country. Absolutely. Yeah, world class. So you said that this um, event sort of served as a soft reopening of the site. So there is a new concrete walkway, a raised walkway where people can sort of observe the fossils from afar without walking on them. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Because they are, they're, they're in rock, but the rock is very brittle. So if you step on them, you're likely going to cause cracks. And even if you don't see the cracks right now during the Mm -hmm. next freeze thaw cycle when water will get into the cracks and then expand when it turns into ice, 
face, that can cause really major damage. And you do have some photos of Rebecca Hunt Foster, um, but she is um, the only one near the tracks, and she is barefoot. Yes. So did she talk about why she was, you know, barefoot? Yeah, to avoid damaging the tracks. And right. apparently, I think she said she used to do this a lot, you know, eight years ago when she was working on the site. They uh-huh. walk around barefoot to avoid having their, their hard shoes kind of sure. break the tracks. But still don't walk on the track site, even if you're barefoot. Only Rebecca can do that. Any Anything else to say about this this piece, Sophia? Yeah. Another follow-up from the BLM, um, spokesperson Rachel Wooten actually said during the event that the Moab office is prioritizing hiring a paleontologist now. Okay. They have not had an in-house paleontologist since Hunt Foster left in 2018. Mm-hmm. And that was one serious issue that was criticized around the time the track site was damaged. Just they didn't have an on-site paleontologist. Okay. I know, of course, it comes down to funding. Absolutely. Yeah. It ha- and they haven't, you know, been able to release like a formal job opening listing mm-hmm. for it yet. But she said it's they're trying to get to that point. Sophia Fisher, reporter at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Election coverage continues in the Moab Sun News this week. Allison Hartford tells us what to expect in their latest edition. This is um, part two of our election guide. Um, so this week we talked to candidates who are running for the three other positions in the county. Fire Commissioner Sam Van Wetter and Charlie Harrison. County Attorney, which is Christina Sloan and Stephen Stocks. And County Sheriff, which is Kurt Brewer and Jameson Wiggins. Is this kind of like a Q&A like you had last time? Okay. Yeah, super similar um, to last week. We just asked them all the same questions and then um, hopefully people can come to their own conclusions about who they want to vote for. Good to know. Continued election coverage is in the sun this week. And where do you want to take us next? This week, Rachel wrote about the expansion of outdoor recreation education programs in Moab. Okay. So um, I know that educating people on how to recreate responsibly in Grant County's public lands, front country and back country has been top of the mind for lots of people Definitely. in recent years. So mm-hmm. tell us about this. Yeah. So um, with fall, a lot of new recreators come to Moab. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great time for hiking and biking and climbing. Um, and so two outdoor stewardship organizations um, like the Grand County Active Transportation and Trails Division and the climbing advocacy nonprofit, the Access Fund, um, are kind of re-strategizing to meet the masses with these messages of responsible recreation. And so Rachel wrote this week about two events that are going on um, to support these responsible recreation messages. So Green County Active Transportation and Trails Division is starting their first outreach toward rock climbers specifically. And the way that they're doing this is through what they're calling Moab Climber Coffee. This is kind of headed by the trail ambassador, Lauren Hebert, who worked at the Access Fund as a steward in Indian Creek last year. Lauren has been going around to local crags and experimenting with the best way to Um, connect with climbers in the Moab area. Mm. And so a lot of this messaging is the same messages that apply to all outdoor recreationists, which is like protect um, biological soil crust, pack out your trash, dispose of human waste properly, and respect archaeological sites. Um, And this is kind of a big deal in Moab because a lot of climbers who climb here aren't from the area. They're traveling here. Mm -hmm. Um, And last year, there were a couple vandalism incidents with climbers. Mm -hmm. One incident involved a climber who bolted a route over petroglyphs Mm -hmm. because they didn't realize um, what the petroglyphs were. And so there's this huge need to educate the climbers who come and visit here. 
So this first event that Grand County is doing, they're calling Moab Climber Coffee, and it'll be on Saturday, October 29th in Lions Park from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. So anyone who comes by can get a free cup of coffee and chat with an ambassador, um, and there will also be a trivia game, um, and Lions Park has these artificial boulders that people can climb on, and they're hosting it in Lions Park because that's really a gateway to other climbing crags in mm-hmm. the area. Mm-hmm. You pass by it to go down Potash Road to go to Wall Street, and so this is the first event that they're hosting with climbers. So Grand County has had this trail ambassador program for a little while. Um, they interact with people, hikers, like mm-hmm. at the Mill Creek Trailhead. Right. Um, they do bikers at Bar M. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of their first foray, as you're saying, into interacting with climbers. Yeah. And this is something that they're trying to do to reach all user groups. Um, so this is the first year that they're trying to interact with climbers directly. Um, but they're also trying to reach motorized users like last year, the division applied for a grant to buy a Jeep that mm-hmm. ambassadors could use to patrol motorized routes in the area. Um, and while they weren't awarded the grant, they're still looking for ways to connect with all user groups who come to Moab. All right. So branching out into the motorized community as well. Yeah. All right. Anything else to say about the stewardship? Yeah, so um, the Access Fund is also doing a stewardship initiative. Um, So last fall, they launched this initiative in Indian Creek, and they're also calling that Climber Coffee. Um, And basically, two stewards live and work in Indian Creek throughout the peak season, and they um, bop around to different crags to offer coffee and talk to people. Um, And it's really popular. The stewards are super friendly, and they'll help people um, like figure out what to climb while also spreading this responsible recreation messaging. So they urge visitors to respect crag closures and avoid climbing on wet rock um, and camp only in existing camping spots. And it's really popular. So at the end of the 10-week season in the spring, stewards had logged 1,777 visitor interactions wow. and giving away about 1,300 cups of coffee. <laughs> and they also spoke with visitors from 44 different states and 17 countries. Wow. Moving on, there's more in the Moab Sun News. Um, the city council meeting was a bit interesting, and you wrote about it. Tell mm-hmm. us what happened there. So one of the most exciting updates from the city council meeting on Tuesday is that free t- public transportation is expected to begin service in Moab early next year. So this has been in the works for some time. Is this the um, pilot shuttle? Yes, same program. They're calling it the Moab Area Transit. Um, And this project has been in the works since 2017 when the city was awarded funding from the Utah Transportation Commission's Recreation Hotspot Program. And so throughout the years, this project has really been morphing. Um, There's a pretty big need for public transportation in Moab because we don't have any. And also there's a lack of taxi services like Uber or Lyft. And so the city's been working on developing this project that would kind of fill those two voids. And so what they landed on um, kind of earlier this year is the idea that they could have two different vans or buses. um, And one would be on call um, throughout the Moab and Spanish Valley. And that would work like people could call the van or use an app Mm. um, to summon it and then be dropped off wherever they want. Mm. And then there would also be a fixed route service that would run down 
Highway 191 from River Road to Mill Creek Drive. Over the summer, the city was collecting vendor bids to run this project with the idea of the two vans. And so since then, city staff narrowed the bids down to two vendors, um, Downtowner and the Moab Express. During the city council meeting on Tuesday, Chuck Williams, who's the city engineer, suggested to the city that they pursue a contract with Downtowner. So this is a company that has services all over the Mountain West. They're in Aspen and Steamboat and Park City, in addition to a bunch of other places. And for this MOA project, they proposed um, using 13-passenger ADA-accessible Ford Transit vans. Two vans would be dedicated to the on-call service, which would run from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily during the peak season, which is mid-March to mid-October, mm. and 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday to Friday during the off-season. And then the fixed-route van would operate during the peak season only. And Downtowner already has an app, and they already have um, this program kind of set up because of all these other places that they're running very similar programs. So riders could access the service through an app available in English and Spanish, and all rides would be completely free. Okay, so how are they managing that all rides be completely free? Is that because of the funding from this grant? Yes, yeah. yeah. So um, the funding comes from a bunch of different places. A lot of it comes from UDOT and grants from the Federal Transit Authority, but the city will end up paying an estimated total of $279,000. Okay, and this will last for one year? Well, the project has funding for at least five years. Okay. But for the first year, they're going to kind of assess like who's using the vans and how many mm-hmm. people um, and where mm-hmm. they're going. And so after the first year, they'll kind of revisit this plan to have the two um, on-call vans and the one fixed route van, and then they'll reassess and um, reorganize. Got it. Thanks for that. When should we expect to see this, these vans appear? Chuck Williams said he expects service to begin sometime in February 2023. Allison Harford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.